This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to mum in minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com. Kia ora, I'm Georgina Campbell. It's February 12 and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Tension between Auckland Council and the government has flared up once again. Mayor Wayne Brown is unhappy with the coalition government's decision to axe the Auckland fuel tax, arguing that transport projects are going to have to be cancelled as he has ruled out increasing rates to pay for the funding shortfall. It comes as Auckland Transport faces criticism for eye-watering costs for level pedestrian crossings and lengthy delays with roadworks on a key commuter route. So, does the city need more government support to pay for its projects or a rethink of how it pays for what it's already doing? Today on The Front Page, we're joined by New Zealand Herald Super City reporter Bernard Orsman to quite literally dig into the saga of pedestrian crossings. Bernard, last week the government announced the end of Auckland's regional fuel tax. Can you remind us what the purpose of this tax was and why it's ending? Right. Well, the regional fuel tax was introduced in 2018 by Labour at the request of Auckland Council at the rate of 11.5 cents a litre and it was introduced to help fund a prescribed list of transport projects. Over 10 years, it was expected to raise $1.5 billion and attract a further $1.5 billion of government subsidies. But at the last election, National promised to abolish it. And last week, the Prime Minister and Transport Minister, Simeon Brown, did just that as part of National's 100-day plan. Yes, so they have confirmed that this tax will be gone by June 30 and we've had Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown ringing the alarm bells for months now about how losing the tax could be dire for the council's finances. So what does the end of this tax mean for the city's transport plans? I mean, you're right. The government's axing of the regional fuel tax, it's a massive blow for Auckland. Wayne Brown had already signalled cuts to transport in the long-term plan and says without the regional fuel tax, Auckland stands to lose $1.2 billion over the next four years. He has countered National's claims there is about $350 million of unspent money held in reserve by saying these funds are committed to the next stage of the Eastern Busway and for the purchase of new trains for the city rail link. He also says the city will no longer have money to build the next stage of the Eastern Busway from Botany to the airport, and long-awaited improvements to roads like Lake Road between Takapuna and Devonport and Glenvar Road on the North Shore. Furthermore, he says the loss of revenue 
is going to reduce the council's debt headroom and the ability to borrow more money when it needs it. The regional fuel tax, 11.5 cents a litre to pay for Auckland transport projects, is gone. It'll leave a $1.2 billion hole in Auckland Council's transport funding. A Curia research poll conducted by the Auckland Mayoral Office shows 44% of Aucklanders surveyed want to keep the fuel tax, 26% want projects cancelled, 19% say lift rates, 10% are unsure. So the mayor is saying the council needs more money for transport projects, basically, and he has ruled out rates rises. It's it's not going to come from rates. And as you say, at the moment, his position is, well, with, with no help, um, we're actually going to stop doing things. But over the last few months, it's also become quite clear that the transport projects um, that are happening in the city, some of them, are not exactly going to plan. And Bernard, you've been reporting on this bizarre situation with the Hare Road crossing in Three Kings. Can you take me through this saga? Right, okay, and it is a saga. I mean, the crossing was installed early in 2022 for reasons I'm still unclear about. But after it was built, nearby neighbours complained about noise and vibrations, including claims it did not have drainage and a property was flooded several times. As a result of this, AT agreed to remove it and reinstate the road with a normal crossing, and all up, this has cost $600,000. And, you know, it's certainly not the only controversial pedestrian crossing that we've seen in the country. You know, I can think back to 2022 in Wellington, a crossing on Cobham Drive on a state highway on the way to the airport was so controversial, it actually sparked judicial review action. So... Are these level crossings just a case of frustrated sort of NIMBY residents or are there legitimate uh, controversies here? Well, I can't speak for Wellington, but the feedback I pick up in Auckland is the sheer number of raised crossings being installed and the cost, um, many of which are up to $500,000 for a single crossing, which is the equivalent of building a new home. And both of us know all too well how rare it is for Wellington City Council to sort of emerge victorious over Auckland Council. But you've done some investigating and found there's quite a disparity between the cost of level crossings in our two cities, as you alluded to before. Can you please tell me more about what you've found out? I went to Auckland Transport and several councils and asked to find out how many crossings they had built over a 12-month period and the cost. In Wellington's case, I found the council had installed four crossings over that period for between $30,000 and $55,000, although two of those were part of larger projects, one in High Taitai. So when I spoke to Auckland Transport boss Dean Kimpton about this, his response was that Wellington's crossings were built of cheaper asphalt that only lasts 10 years whereas Auckland Transport uses more expensive concrete crossings lasting 40 years. But up here in Auckland, I also found that AT was spending, in one case, $150,000 on traffic management and much larger sums than Wellington on things like design, consultation, consenting, installing stormwater and so forth. So yes, something for Wellington to cry about.
since you've uncovered this and sort of put these pointed questions to AT about why these crossings are so expensive, do they sort of completely stand by the way that they're building and managing these crossings or has your reporting triggered any change in terms of what they're doing? Well, we don't know yet, but I would say that sort of Auckland Transport has this habit of gold plating many of its projects, particularly in the inner city suburbs where the push to install cycleways has grown into full-blown road upgrades, costing tens of millions of dollars. It's the same with crossings. Wellington City Council can build a perfectly good crossing for $30,000, all up in Berenpore. Auckland Transport spends $500,000 without blinking an eye. In fact, Dean Kimpton told me a $490,000 crossing in Greyland was not gold-plated. He said the crossing with five catch-bit upgrades, stormwater improvements, grated channels to allow for better overland and stormwater flow down the road, a central pedestrian island, pedestrian areas on both sides amongst the curb and channel, footpath and bus stop upgrades, plus lighting. All these things had to be done if you are going to have a, both a safe pedestrian access but also reduce the risk of flooding and safe walking. Wayne Brown came out last month and tore a strip off ATO over the issue, saying it has lost the plot in terms of value for crossings, adding there are people in AT who have convinced themselves that this is a good spend of money, and it's not, in his view. When they build infrastructure, they have to build it to a high standard. We expect that our roads and our bridges and our railways and all the other things they build, we expect they're going to last. We don't want them built on the cheap and we don't want them to just have a short lifespan of just a few decades. We want those things to keep going. On the other hand, it doesn't always follow from that that everything should be gold-plated. The Herald readers have been very invested in the Miola Road saga. As a non-Aucklander like myself, a proud Wellingtonian, why is this bit of roadworks causing so much controversy for AT? Well, for a start, Miola Road is a key link road, if you like, between two inner city suburbs, Westmere and Point Shear. It's also used by a lot of people to travel to and from work from West Auckland, so it's a bit of a thoroughfare, it's a very busy road, and for several years now there have been plans for a cycleway which has developed into a sort of a full uh, road upgrade. The road got inundated in last year's January floods. It's built over an old rubbish tip. So the council decided for sort of a full upgrade, raising part of the road. And before Christmas, they announced that they were going to close Miola Road for three months to do sort of the main sort of roading works before they get on and build the cycleway. But then we learnt last week that AT suddenly informed residents and the Western Springs Football Club, which happens to be the largest football club in New Zealand, without any notice that they were going to extend the closure for another 10 to 12 weeks, and that's caused a real furore. So we've got the Mayor demanding more money from the government to pay for projects, but people are up in arms over how much AT is seemingly wasting on some of their projects. Can both things be true at the same time? And how does Wayne Brown I sort of sort of negotiate with the government, if you like, for more money when 
AT isn't exactly doing a great job of advertising its uh, skills in this area. Well, Wayne Brown's got troubles on several fronts. He's got an issue with the government in terms of axing the regional fuel tax, and he's got issues with Auckland Transport with the way they go about spending money. And he's been trying to sort of rein in Auckland Transport. He wants them to do things, I think the words he used is better, faster, quicker, but Auckland Transport just seems to have this habit, if you like, of stuffing things up big time with residents, with communities, and it just gets up people's back and they just keep on repeating the same mistakes and the mayor is trying to sort of change the culture. I just see as an early skirmish in what will become an ongoing debate. That money was being used to give you better roads. And so this is kind of a simplistic move by the government to solve something they told the public and it will will have unintended consequences which we will both have to deal with. You're a third of the government, I'm a third of New Zealand. We've got to sit down and talk. The council has appointed a new chair for Auckland Transport, a chap by the name of Richard Leggett, who the mayor has high hopes for in terms of making changes and improvements at Auckland Transport. Richard's got a big job in front of him. I mean, other people have tried to bring about change at Auckland Transport and uh, we'll just have to wait and see how he gets on. But he did give some encouraging signs when he addressed councillors for the first time last week and that he said that his priority was going to be improved public transport. And really that's the area that Auckland Transport really needs to focus on and the area that will make the biggest difference to improving the transport situation in the city. Clearly, transport costs a lot. Councils are running out of money, and now Auckland doesn't have a fuel tax to help ease that load. Shouldn't the government be stepping in to help with this financial burden, and if so, how? Well, you would think so, but that's not how politics works. Last week's announcement was a strong signal by the government that its transport policy tied in with a focus on economic growth comes first. It's also a timely lesson to Wayne Brown that shouting from the rooftops gets you nowhere. Thanks so much for joining us, Bernard. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Ethan Sills with sound engineer Paddy Fox. I'm Georgina Campbell. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts and tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.